Sirius XM Sports presents At the Races with Steve Bick. Horse racing, handicapping, interviews. This is At the Races with Steve Bick. A very good Wednesday, race fans. Sirius 219, XM201, Sports Zone 964. If you're listening to Sirius XM online, viable option. And at our website, stevebick.com. Wednesday and the start of OBS, June, three days to wrap up the two year old sale season. Uh, and uh, actually some horses of racing age as well. The next three days, 10.30, the action starts. I was digging through some catalog, and we'll talk, uh, I'm sure, with Sid. In hour three, hour two, we'll uh, touch on the end of the season, and, of course, more and more freshman sires getting their winners starting to starting to you know have fun and track uh, some of those precocious stallion types and the runners that they're getting and uh, that'll be part of the next couple of days as the season wraps up the uh catalog the big catalog actually and uh How many we got? No, not, not, 850 before outs. 900, give or take. So we'll be keeping an eye on that uh, starting at, at 1030. And, of course, we'll also talk to Sid as part of our regular Sire Watch. Pedigree Focus brought to you by Hill and Dale. And how do you not, how do you not, you know, consider what, Tappet uh, is is doing uh, with uh, another Belmont winner. We'll see what uh, what Sid thought uh, and catch up. All right, uh, plenty of news, and it'll it'll actually. I think we'll kind of weave some of it uh, in. I mean, I'll give you some headlines, and and then flesh some of these things out in the course of the morning. We'll talk uh, to Alan Foreman uh, after the bottom of the hour, and I'll, I'll let Alan once again <laughs> uh, separate the legal uh, the legalese uh, after yesterday's pair of uh, you know ongoing well, you want to call them disputes, and uh, that's fair, I guess. Uh, the the Medina Spirit uh, legal wranglings uh, and essentially essentially the Medina Spirit team uh, is asking for the last remaining in this case urine uh, from post uh, derby 
and I'll let Alan explain to you the what and why, uh, what they're hoping to accomplish with it uh, in terms of a, another battery of of tests. I mean, essentially, they, they want to try to establish that the beta-methasone specifically came from the Automax topical lotion and uh, the treatment for the you know, for the skin disease and Alan will explain what that might you know how that might help their case I mean obviously uh, to some degree it, it we've said repeatedly does it really matter uh, which way the you know the beta-methasone was in the system it's you know it's a careless oversight whether it was a therapeutic med treatment or whether it was the the ointment topically what what, it, it it still amounts you know to the presence of the beta methasone and it, it you know it, it's it's not you know it's not permissible in Kentucky you know as we've said repeatedly it's a different situation in California and a fine and no DQ in Kentucky it's a DQ and 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 fine and potentially days if I mean it's I don't know it seems very clear uh, that that there's really not a viable explanation uh, in terms of a legal proceeding, but I'll let Alan deal with that. Uh, the Linda Rice case, as I mentioned yesterday, took something of a unusual turn, I thought, with the, the Gaming Commission, uh, their findings, and... You know, essentially, they they backed off part of their claim, and the part of their claim that they backed off it would would seem to somewhat neutralize you know the misconduct. It, it's 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 very odd and difficult, and her attorney this morning is seeking a uh, emergency stay uh, of the the order uh, and there's a, a series of points that they've made uh, that frankly ha- have some seem to have some validity I mean whether it's you know, regarding the severity of the penalty uh, and they use the word disproportionate, you know, to the findings, the alleged uh, transgressions. Uh, but they also bring up a a point, and you've heard and you've seen Linda Rice quoted as saying, "What rule exactly uh, was being broken here?" And uh, they're looking to, you know, hang their their legal actions on on that and a, a couple other fine points. I'm going to let Alan handle it. All right. <laughs> I, I just I don't know how much of this I, I it 
if they're not pressing that there was, quote-unquote, a bribery element to this, which they seem to have backed off, then then what you know what you're just going to say oh well the it was conduct unbecoming i i i i don't think we've got <laughs> is there a legal precedent uh, for that I, I i know you know in matt hegarty's piece he, he you know he's regularly referenced the way the at the time the uh, racing and wagering board at the time handled the Rick Dutro suspension uh, and which uh, you know could easily be identified as as arbitrary and capricious in terms of the way it was it was leveled so again i'm going to let alan handle all right uh some good news from monday afternoon that i did not get to yesterday as we were you know we had a full dance card and that was the Woodbine news, and the Woodbine news, uh, as we kind of speculated last week, uh, there was uncertainty as to what the start date would be. Well, uh, Mohawk, the standard breads, they start on Friday, and thoroughbred racing in Toronto starts on Saturday, the 12th, and we'll be providing coverage, and excited for everybody there uh, it it comes just in time and maybe maybe we'll get to jim lawson uh as early as today uh, so we'll see all right uh and there was also uh speaking of you know advance uh, interest and excitement uh flurry of kentucky downs news i'm sure we'll talk with hammer uh about it on friday but i, I saw where they you know, sent out some of the new amenities and the new seating area and uh, the chalet and a nice terrace. Uh, they are ready to have you reserve tickets. Uh, they're they're going to be back to full capacity at, at Kentucky Downs. So we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Hammer. Go to uh, Kentucky Downs dot com slash racing or Kentucky Downs tickets dot com if you want to uh, reserve seating by seats uh, for the season and much more compact than we're used to than historically uh, September 5th 6th 8th 9th 11th 12th 5th 6th 8th 9th 11th and 12th so it it's not spread out over two and a half weeks this is this is actually bang bang uh we're gonna we're gonna get a heavy heavy dose uh, of kentucky downs uh, at us so look forward to it all right and i've also when we got hammer uh haven't i mean i mentioned it of course as part of the news but i didn't really delve deeper i'm going to save it for rick uh, the oaklawn the oaklawn news uh, was met with uh, was met with a variety frankly of responses uh i i would call 
I, I would call the reaction mixed. There was, you know, there there was the <laughs> the wild-eyed uh, Oaklawn fans that were thrilled. Uh, about having Oakland as early as uh, December and, and uh, having two-year-old racing uh, in at Oakland, and then there were people that were you know kind of quizzical about the whole thing, and you know knowing that you know that period uh, weather-wise is not all that welcoming, uh, and you know kind of reference that a little bit, and, and then there's the element of its impact on. You know other ovals uh, in in the region, uh, and, and that you know that is a is a germane topic. Uh, fairgrounds, of course, starts. You know, I I, I just since Michelle uh, Lovell was on with us when when this news happened, uh, I kind of threw it at her, but the The situation there, frankly, at fairgrounds with the turf course and the way the Jazz and Heritage Festival was scheduled and, and the expectation that the turf course at at fairgrounds is going to be of limited or, or no uh, availability uh, early on in the meet, that plays into this. I, it, 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 and I and certainly no one's gonna. I, mean, I, I think you can understand Oakland's motivation here, but uh, it, it there will be. I I I can't even call them unintended consequences, right? I I think you could call them somewhat intended. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll get some thoughts uh, from Rick uh, on Friday. All right. There's there's a smattering of of the news. Uh, we're gonna have gonna have we're gonna get Pete in actually early. Pete was gonna uh, I was gonna follow Alan, but Alan can't come on till just past nine thirty. So let's slip Pete in here, case, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk uh, to him. See how his uh, what his Belmont. I didn't see Pete actually. Now that I think about it. Uh, That's a, that, I'm gonna have to ask about that. I I, uh, I don't. Uh, I I didn't I didn't really wander around actually all that much, frankly, uh, on on Saturday either. I, I was kind of I, I've got my kind of quarter that I <laughs> back and forth from the track apron to uh, the you know, down toward the the winter circle and uh, the. And then back, uh, you know, the paddock area, top of the you know, top of the paddock. Uh, did see my guy, Joe Bianca. That was fun, and uh, and Billy saw Billy Rappaport. That was actually uh, nice because I uh, somehow missed Billy in in Louisville uh, both weeks at Derby. So it was great to see uh, the the television impresario, the great Billy Rappaport, and uh, he looks great, doing good, and. Uh, healthy that that counts for a lot right uh when it comes to the racing let's uh hint ahead to 
second half of the show. Bill Downs is going to come visit, and we'll look at the Indiana action today. And there's a couple of stakes. Kind of hinted at the the stakes yesterday during uh, the the visits with Steve Asmussen and and later with Brad Cox. And by the way, how about both of them? Yeah, there wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> there wasn't much money to be made, but uh, both of their horses were winners uh, yesterday. That Patty H one uh, for uh, for Brad at Indiana, and, uh, and he was you know he was hinting uh, that he expected uh, a winner there. And Steve Asmussen's bankable, as suggested, uh, also proved bankable, and they were both you know they were both short short prices, but hey. I, I I forget who it was on Twitter last night said he's ready to quit his job. He's just going to listen in. <laughs> he's just going to listen in and and uh, take uh, take the pushes from from the horsemen and and use them to his uh, to his retirement advantage, I guess. Uh, so we'll see we'll see about uh, the sequence today. You also got the Shelby County as well as that William Henry Harrison uh, that. We referenced and keep a keep an eye out. Uh, Brad's horse five to one morning line, and uh, Kim Hammond's double tough is the six to five favorite. So might not might not go favored, uh, which is we might get a decent number. Uh, and you've got the Shelby County that is. Is very good. That Hungarian princess is back again. Cam Hammond, and this is a nice field. A really nice field. And then I got to mention, I do not want this to go under the radar, and we'll revisit it after scratches later, maybe with Seth Merrow. The Obeya uh, that I brought up with John Service, and John's scratching, as he said, but it, the the field is terrific. You've got a couple of other horses that ran uh, here, you know, very recently. Uh, that are you know that just ran like Queen uh, Nekia uh, is certainly going to come out, and there was somebody else that ran that just ran. I forget, um, but anyway, there there's a, a total of fourteen. So even if three or four come out, you're still going to have a very nice field in the Obeya four forty five post at Delaware uh, for the hundred thousand dollar filly and mare standard. All right, so there's got three stakes today uh, of note. And actually, I think there's also there's I think Arizona Dowds has got a little twenty thousand <laughs> uh, dollar added stake today. Uh, Pete Fortetal joins us. Good morning. And maybe maybe we lost Pete. No. Case, what do you think? You got me. No, there we go. I now I can hear you. It's a, it's a great time of year for racing, Steve. Cool to have. Such good racing early in the week, and fantastic to be on here with you. I, you know, I mentioned in advance of of, of Casey calling. I, I did. I didn't see you somehow on Saturday. I know. I, I was running around, um, but it was one of those days. It was like from from one person to to another. I, I did about half the day. We got there late. The heat. I, we had Perrin with us, so oh. I wanted to be strategic. Um, so we got there a little bit late, and then I, we found our nice seats in the grandstand. I was running around the turf terrace for about two hours, and then I, I went back to the grandstand, uh, never, never to be seen again in the, uh, in, in the clubhouse. But that was a fantastic day out there. I mean, heat, 
heat and all, it was just so nice to be back at Belmont with uh, a semblance of a crowd. And yeah, that is, it was a disappointment that I missed you and a few other uh, friends along the way, but uh, there's going to be a lot more to come. I feel like this was a nice little, not even an appetizer for Saratoga, more of an amuse-bouche. I mentioned on on Monday, probably with Meg, uh, and uh, actually never even got a chance to bring it up with Andy yesterday. I I was stunned by uh, there's a fervor, Pete. I mean, people are uh, uh, people are literally crawling out of their skin to get up here uh, for for the summer. It's crazy. Oh, it makes me happy to have a place and not have to be worrying about it. It is fantastic the way that they're they're doing it. I was prepared for severe limitations and distancing, but I love the fact that they're going with the the, the vaccinated stuff, and it's going to mean that in those parts of the track, you know, without leaving out people who, for whatever reason, haven't been able to get vaccinated yet, et cetera, uh, at other places, it's going to be business as usual. And, I mean, that to me is beyond exciting and I, I so it's kind of funny i i have to talk to susan about this but we had originally planned to basically punt on the first two days and come up on saturday just to button up a few things for the summer before relocating i think i'm just going to day trip it for thursday and then you know i don't want to leave her in the lurch having to come up by herself with for the first time with all the extra stuff that entails but i think i'm just going to day trip it cuz i think it's going to be a giant crowd and i think it's going to be incredibly positive vibes and i think as somebody who loves racing and loves new york and loves saratoga it's just something i, I think i need to be a part of it even if i have to spend 7 hours on a bus that day well uh, i i can understand the uh... The question I've received more questions and uh, you know requests and, and you know miscellaneous queries uh, than than usual. I'll tell you that uh, uh, people asking you know where should I stay and and uh, you know is, will this be a good weekend or that and, and uh, they're they're you know how do I get the Excelsior pass and <laughs> they, they're, you know Great. it's uh, we and we've been trying to update everybody as often as possible with the visit. We need to, to do Pat a special Canada. show. Would you would you be willing? Could we could we trade uh, host guest roles perhaps? And could you maybe be a guest on a special Saratoga yeah. lifestyle podcast? Would you be up with sharing some of your knowledge yeah, of with the? With our audience, that could be really of fun. Course. Actually, uh, it will be fun and uh, and and helpful too. Uh, at uh, you know, it, it's going to be it, it already. You can just tell in town. I mean, the town is is got a, a a healthy vibe. I was talking to Dave Harmon. I mentioned this yesterday or Monday, and uh, hadn't seen Dave all triple crown season. He did not come out to Louisville or Baltimore and to shoot uh, photos, but he says. It, it, it he actually has got one of those happy pandemic stories it, it, the west side cafe he said he's had it's been nonstop he never closed and by having delivery he had delivery literally the minute you know things became obvious about how you were going to have to handle your you know your food service business and and he said he's got all these new customers people that had never been to the restaurant and they started ordering on you know ordering online for delivery and now that they can come in they're coming in for the first time and he says he's busier he had a busier late winter and spring than he's had since since they opened that location that's terrific yeah it was a colleague 
of mine back in the day, original, old school, original edition of, of Saratoga Special, and I followed his uh, bar restaurant career with interest, and that, that's a fun space. The, the Alabama, when was that now? Two, three years ago that got the, 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 the heavens opened up and we were sitting outside. I ended up retreating to the, to the West Side uh, Stadium over there, and we had a great day watching it in, and and of course, you, you know it's the kind of place you're, you're very likely to see uh, other racing racing people in there as well. So that's, I'm glad to hear that. You as many sad stories as there are restaurants that didn't make it. It's good to hear that some have been able to adapt and thrive. Yeah, no doubt. And speaking of uh, thriving, before we talk about uh, what's going on uh, this week uh, with uh, with your activities and. Uh, and actually, we should look ahead, uh, considering how much you love uh, Royal Ascot. It's time to start, uh, you know, dusting off the the, the top hat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's slip in. Let's slip in because you and I did sort of a a preview of the voting. The news yesterday. I was saving this for you, anyhow. Sally Goodall and Ray Arsenault voted uh, by their compatriots into the NHC Hall of Fame. Congratulations to Sally and Ray. It's great to see uh, deserving candidates going in. It's great to know what a deep bench there is and, and how, uh, how many on this current list of nominees are deserving. Sally's remarkable 18 in a row. I think we've seen um, that it means something, not just in the old system of voting, Qualification was something that was greatly prized. It's interesting to see when it opened up to the to the public uh, and the new way of voting. Clearly, that's something that that means a ton to those folks as well. And that is certainly a remarkable streak that Sally's on, and backed up with the with with the tour win. Certainly makes sense on the stats. And, and Ray was one of the ones in my four horse exact the box that I needed to to put in my own personal ballot, and as, and as I've mentioned, somebody whose contributions go beyond the tournament room, somebody who has been and was to me uh, in my early days in the tournament world incredibly helpful, wanting everybody to understand this community and get involved, and then his help, hope in, his help in launching the Pegasus Tournament as well, incredibly uh, player friendly in its original incarnation, especially. I mean, you know, can't can't they don't get more deserving than Ray? I can't wait to see him in person and and uh, raise a Manhattan and toast his success. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see Ray uh, undoubtedly at Saratoga first before getting out to Vegas, where Sally, of course, resides. And uh, you know, now a, a second uh, husband and wife team <laughs> added to the hall. And uh, you know, Canadians are are always uh, imposing <laughs> in, in the in the contest world. And uh, one of the things that's that's going to be somewhat uh, unusual is there's going to be a, a another vote fairly quickly uh, there's going to be a short turnaround uh, when you know the the next set uh, are, are going to be added you know beyond you know these two because of course we're going to reassemble in January for NHC 2022 and uh, the group that uh, you know the certainly the nominees from this year that you know, uh, didn't get elected, they're going to be back, and probably two new names that will be just as worthy. I mean, this was, as you and I discussed, this was a heady 
set, uh, including Paul Matisse and Dave Goodfriend, uh, Stanley Bavlish, uh, Jim Goodman, uh, Bill Sherman, Rich Nilsson, Dennis DeCower, and Michael Baychick. And uh, clearly, Baychick is going to have to reevaluate the marketing team. Uh, and uh, th- there may take. be, yes, there, there may be, Somebody there may be, like well, there may be an HBO movie in the works about the campaign. Now, this is going to be like, uh, like that terrific, uh, what, what was that? Well, there was Recount, and then there was the one, uh, the, the, what was the second one that was really quite good? Uh, oh, I, it's, it's, it's in the tip of my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, the one that you mean. But yeah, there, there's a lot of drama back there. No, I mean, I know John Hurt means very well. But I do think, especially when you're dealing with public voting, you can get a backlash to over-publicity. I think it's something we've seen in the real political world that may have hurt uh, Michael's chances this time around, but he can't really complain with as worthy as the, the candidates were, I suppose. But I, but I, Very funny. I do think a reevaluation in strategy is in order. Somebody take away John Hurt's keyboard. <laughs> There's, uh, I, I have not, I didn't see, I should have gone looking for some commentary on that front uh, after the, after the uh, press release uh, yesterday. We're going to talk to Sally and Ray, uh, if not today, then, uh, you know, over the next couple of days, we'll get them both on for their reactions. And actually, I, Ray will be useful, too, to uh, react to uh, the good news about Woodbine starting on Saturday and Mohawk on Friday. Uh, so things are, are slowly shaping up uh, north of the border as well. Uh, Pete, uh, the, turn to you and and talk a little bit about uh, what what's going on. You've got uh, you've got contest uh, activity that everybody needs to know about. Yes, we're back with horse player happy hour. Uh, we took a, we took a, a brief uh, a brief hiatus there. We're back and we're back on Fridays. We're going to be doing Fridays from now until the end of our season. We've got a, a player with a, with a decent lead now, certainly a lead worth talking about in David Browning. He's a great story. He's exactly the kind of player for whom this tournament was designed. Not, not a, a high roller, enter a big contest and you know, be able to, 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 to fire it all. He's somebody who, like many of us, so the, money, the money means something to him. He's a devoted player. He, he gets into the big money events because he starts off in uh, inexpensive feeders like our $20 horse player happy hours. He's been on a terrific run. But remember, these contests provide you three different ways to win into the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. They're at, they are feeders for the Saturday qualifier, so you can get in that traditional way. The overall leader, and David Browning, while he has a sizable lead, is not, not an insurmountable lead. You could have played zero and, uh, and jump in now and still potentially catch his point total. But that overall tour winner will get a spot. And then we also have our playoffs where the top two finishers every week as well as the top 40 on the tour who, uh, who, who uh, didn't already get in, they will qualify for a playoffs at the end of the year. But I think the best thing about these horse player happy hour events is the fact that all the VIG goes to charity, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. And it's not too late to start at all. We've got plenty of action left and uh, 20000 in Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats added to this prize pool at no expense to the players. Matt Bernier and I will be doing live streams every Friday pretty much, somewhere in the three to five window. I think we're going to start about 3.15 this week. Uh, we've seen a lot of at-the-races listeners in there. I always like to shout them out. 
So uh, come on board, and we, we do a lot of interaction through the comments. It, it becomes just sort of like a big handicapping session, and, and it's been a whole lot of fun. Very nice, and uh, it you know it does seem we got really not just an early start uh, on the on the Breeders' Cup ac- action. Uh, we also started to have the really the qualifiers got underway. Uh, they were they were handing out uh, winning winning your ends on Saturday. So uh, it, it you know feels it, it's so funny how we get right here and and the the triple crown. The whole, you know, the whole dynamic uh, kind of shifts, and, and we, t- you know, start turning toward you know the summer boutique season with Del Mar and and Saratoga and Breeders' Cup. You know, becomes you know the the second half goals, and and it, it you really could feel that on Saturday. It's, that's right, the seasonal shift, as it were, and it really is those those two things. I mean, for a lot of people, these summer meets, it's where they'll put most of their handle for the year, and it's hard not to start thinking about them in all of your horse playing and even thinking about the playing. And I think sometimes about the playing I'm doing at Belmont this time of year as the beginning of the serious prep for Saratoga. And then I'll find myself some days devoting to specifically the research and development for Del Mar Saratoga, going into DRF Formulator and just looking at the winners of the top ten trainers or looking at horses that paid over $20 or whatever it is and going through and trying to look for patterns, where horses are coming from, something in the workouts from, from previous years. It's, it's, a, it's great, but we also have, with the, with the dawning in the last few weeks of the first domestic win-in-your-in races, uh, that's something else to certainly be paying attention to, something we're going to be talking about a lot on Horse Player Happy Hour and over on the network in general. And, and, oh, by the way, let's not forget next week, a um, couple of win-in-your-in races over there at Royal Ascot, which it's, uh, I'm so happy to have back. bit disappointed that I couldn't get over there. The quarantine stuff's still too draconian. Their, their rules don't fully make sense to me, if I'm being honest. But, hey, it is what it is, and it, it's, it's not exactly a hardship to, to spend um, more time here in, uh, in, in New York as the world starts to open up. But lots of exciting stuff going on in racing, and of course it'll all, all build to a, to a big crescendo at this year's Breeders' Cup. Uh, no doubt. And uh, we'll, get, we'll get some Ascot previewing, and of course we'll have, uh, we'll have the long shot lad, our man Kevin, uh, with, his, with his action on a daily basis. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, it, it, you know, it's also for me. I, I also see the finish line for uh, for the first half vacation, uh, which <laughs> which comes uh, the week after we get to uh, uh, we get to take uh, the breather uh, around July fourth. Well, although it's funny, there, there's going to be. I, I haven't. I, I I can't. I'm not looking forward to facing Clancy uh, about not going to Nashville. Um, but we can't go. We we cannot go to Nashville because uh, our our friends, uh, the Villa Fuertes, uh, daughter Delaney, Tina's the godmother. Delaney's having her uh, baby shower on Saturday, the twenty sixth. So uh, there, there we we cannot. Tina cannot miss, and as a result, uh, Clancy's going to beat me about the head and face. Uh, <laughs> mercilessly for not going uh, to Percy Warner to the Iroquois. Uh, but then the funny thing is Pete that you that you might appreciate I think 
we're going up to Lake Placid uh, for July Fourth weekend, and we're we've we've only ever I've only ever gone to Placid during the winter, uh, typically for hockey, and we're going to go uh, you know stay you know stay on Mirror Lake, and uh, we're going to the we're going to the horse show, to the Grand Prix horse show that. Uh, I, I, and I was stunned when Tina's Tina's been surprising me lately. She she had her she had her uh, impromptu. Do you want to go to this estate sale uh, in Manchester, Vermont, the other day? And and uh, that turned into a into an odyssey. And and uh, then she said, do, we, "Do you do you want to go up to that horse show at Lake Placid?" And I'm like, "Wow, all right." I, I was look. I I just said yes. Why, why not? It's going to be great. I mean, the chance to chance to be around horses, that's supposed to be a really cool place. Believe it or not, I've never been, despite that, you know, 1980 gold medal game being you've a never formative been, you've, you've never been to Placid, memory. You've never been to Placid, period? I've never, I've never been. I've never, you're going to get mad at me when I tell you this. I've never been to Placid. I've never been to Montreal. Despite spending all that time in Saratoga, it's, well, it's I wouldn't. I wouldn't the, tell that to anybody else. You, the, 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 <laughs> yeah, nobody repeat be, that, please. Wow, I'm going to lose my 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 travel food uh, bona fides if, if no. the word gets out. It'll. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. There've been plans to go, and the day the weather wasn't right, or something else came up. But it's. I mean, on the other hand, I'm happy to have these like super easy. Uh, practically day trips from Saratoga ahead of me uh, as something to look forward to, but I want to get to Lake Placid very, very badly. It sounds it sounds awesome. I don't know too much about places up there. I know there's good beer, which is always a selling point, but it's just supposed to be beautiful, and I would imagine in summer it's awesome. It, it's fabulous, and uh, there's it's fabulous. Period. There, there's a tremendous. There's actually a very active uh, and uh, food-to-table uh, style uh, chef scene and dining scene in Placid, although our favorite, our absolute favorite, Chair 6, uh, the the chef owner, has he actually wrapped up his restauranting and is strictly catering now uh, and, and doing private party catering. But that was, I mean, that was our absolute favorite. We would literally, we would literally... Uh, I jump in the car, and, and it's about two hours and twenty minutes door to door for us uh, from Greenwich, and we would go up to eat uh, to have a dinner at, at Chair Six. Uh, awesome, it, unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, that's us. I mean, I'll, I'll, I would drive two hours for good ice cream. So it, it's because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's we're going to get you up there. All right, we're gonna we're gonna make that's a deal. That. I'll, I'll harass you the way <laughs> the way Sean harasses me about Iroquois. <laughs> I think that sounds I think that sounds more than fair. Pete, I appreciate it, and uh, I, I I will I'll make it up for you. Make it up to, in terms of seeing you. We'll during the summer, obviously, and uh, and we'll do we'll do a home and home uh, event uh, for everybody, uh, giving them itineraries for their Saratoga summers. That's a great idea. I'm absolutely up for that. I do want to just sneak in very quickly, Steve, that I will be down at the Monmouth Pick Your Prize contest on Saturday. 
great opportunity for those looking to qualify for the NHC. You can do it very reasonably. Um, it's a $2,000 live bank event. You can find the details on the Monmouth Park website, or you can reach out to Brian Skirka or me directly. And I'll also be there Friday night for the, for the sunset racing. If any listeners around want to meet up and raise a glass, holler at me at Looms Boldly on Twitter or through my website, the contact page, in themoneypodcast.com. We'd love to see folks down at Pick Your Prize this weekend. Very nice, and uh, I've, I've got, uh, it's funny you brought it up, because I've got it right in front of me, Pick Your Prize Handicapping Challenge on the 12th, and uh, kind of a last call to register, uh, no walk-up registration, so get out in front of it, and uh, you also mentioned uh, the weekend, I think, I think the Salvatore Miles being run Friday. Salvatore Mile, I'm almost positive, is uh, is running on Friday, and I uh, will look to see if John Himes took entries uh, yesterday because uh, I did make a note. It's a good. And this is what you do in a case where you are contesting the potential result. You are looking for options on a best result. Uh, This is the way it's done. You raise all the potential legal arguments that you can and see if any of them um, are successful. Uh, Actually, there's there's somewhat of a roadmap for this in in the way that um, Bob's legal team defended his lidocaine positives in Arkansas. Uh, or the lidocaine positive in Arkansas, you see great similarities to the arguments that they're beginning to raise and uh, clearly seeking, I think, the same outcome that they received in uh, Arkansas where the racing commission there upheld the positive test results and the stewards ruling, but then uh, what we call mitigated the penalties and uh, fined Bob and did not disqualify the horse, which is what uh, clearly, uh, I think they're they're seeking to have happen here with respect to the Derby. The um, the public relations aspect is that they are uh, there is this um, uh, rumbling in the media and elsewhere uh, that uh, the positive test here had nothing to do with a cream that was applied to the horse's hind. That this was the injection of a medication into the horse's joint in violation of the rules, and what they are trying to demonstrate is that that was not the case. That it was a cream that was applied, and that the positive test is consistent. Number one, number two, they're arguing that the um, <clears throat> the regulations, as they relate to beta methasone, only apply to injection of beta methasone into joints. They do not apply to a topical administration. Therefore, uh, regulators should take a different, and the public should take a different look at what has happened here. And this is what they believe to be tantamount to an inadvertent administration or a contamination that was not foreseen. And that the amount of the drug that was found in the horse was um, uh, not relevant and uh, could not possibly have compromised the horse's performance. So I think that's um, <clears throat> the arguments that they're setting up, and they're also making one additional argument, and they they make some due process arguments in the Ark in the Arkansas case, although that was not litigated in court. 
And that is that the they want the remnants, what are called the remnants of the um, samples that were tested, in particular the urine sample. They want the ability to have the remnants of the samples that were tested sent to an independent laboratory so that they can have them tested differently, so they can have them tested to determine whether there are other compounds in the sample that would be consistent with compounds that are contained in the cream that was applied to Medina Spirit and therefore buttressed the argument that it was a cream that was applied and was not an injectable. <clears throat> what um, it, What's unique about this argument is that, um, and, and I've said this on your show previously, uh, uh, urine and blood samples are collected immediately after the race. Uh, the primary samples are tested by the testing laboratory for the Kentucky Racing Commission. They will test the blood and the urine. And then if there is a positive test identified in one or both of those biological samples, then the trainer has the right to have the B sample, the independent sample that has been preserved, tested by an independent laboratory to determine, to confirm, to confirm the presence of the drug that was identified, and because this was a quantitative drug, the quantity of the drug in the sample. When the A samples are tested by the primary laboratory, there is a remainder of the sample usually remaining, and that is held by the laboratory for a period of time. But remember that those um, vials or tubes uh, or cups for urine or whatever it is have been um, the security seals have been dislodged, and there is a human element, and there's a there's a um, you know, mechanical element to it. Those samples have been disturbed, and for whatever reason, the when uh, Bob's lawyers requested the ability to get their hands on the or have the the remnants of the A sample <clears throat> tested by another laboratory, which is quite frankly not typically done. Uh, the Kentucky Racing Commission responded that they did not want to send those samples out because they felt those samples had been compromised, particularly the urine sample. <clears throat> so that is the argument they're making now is that, that um, they want to have those remnants tested for one or more reasons, and they're being denied due process by being denied the ability to have those remnants tested to buttress their theory of um, the use of the cream. Hello? Yep. Okay. I didn't, I, I'm sorry. I just I, I stopped there. I didn't know if you had any uh, questions or not. It looks like we've lost Steve. Let me try to get him back, okay? Sorry about that, Alan. I got uh, I, I actually got disconnected. Uh, my, my okay, foot, I didn't know if that was my me foot or hit, you. I, <laughs> no, it was me. It was me. I, I put my foot right. down literally on the. I, I hit it uh, the power bar, and I I I turned off my box and, and had to reconnect. <laughs> Where did <laughs> I leave? A little further away. <laughs> no, no. There we go. I, I was I was. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, is this when when you bring up that uh, that. 
you know, they're trying they're they're asking for something that typically is not uh, is not done i mean do you get the sense that you know they're trying to establish a, a, a legal framework to you know to try to to try to keep the the victory essentially i mean is that is that at the that's obviously at the base of at the core of of the activity sure so they're they're starting to build what we call a record okay they are they're starting to establish a record that if they get an adverse decision from uh, the Kentucky Racing Commission, that they have a, uh, arguments that they have preserved on appeal, should they appeal an adverse decision by the Kentucky Racing Commission through the Kentucky court system. Okay, So you raise those issues now, you preserve them for the record, you get rulings on them, and then you can, you know, you go through the, the legal system and argue whether or not those arguments deprived Bob, of due process, whether the ruling is not supported by the competent evidence, um, not relevant or otherwise. It's actually a roadmap for a lot of this in a case that the uh, Kentucky Racing Commission defended uh, with grand motion, uh, you may recall, uh, right. back in, I guess, 2016, 17, and 18, where, where Graham had a, a positive test for um, methacarbamol, a muscle relaxant in excess of the threshold that had been established by the Kentucky Racing Commission. It was consistent with the national threshold. And, and in that case, uh, Graham argued that, um, yeah, he was using methacarbamol, but they had withdrawn treatment seven days prior to the race in accordance with guidelines. Uh, in that in that instance, the, uh, the threshold, I think, was one nanogram, and his sample had 2.4, 2.5 nanograms. And they argued that it was an infinitesimal amount that could not possibly have affected the performance of the horse and otherwise. I mean, similar arguments to what I think will be raised here, but the Kentucky Racing Commission rejected his, his um, arguments. The case had gone to a hearing officer and then reviewed by the Kentucky Racing Commission and through the court system, the case that ultimately went to the Kentucky Supreme Court. The Kentucky Supreme Court ruled that uh, there was a rational basis for the commission to adopt regulations to preserve the integrity of the race and protect the safety and health and welfare of the horse, and that it wasn't for the courts or anyone else to argue what pharmacologic effect a small amount has on the horse or otherwise, and you may never even know that. Um, uh, and so, therefore, they upheld the Kentucky Racing Commission's ruling in that case. So there's, there's going to be, as this winds through, Unless there are some novel arguments that Bob's lawyers are able to raise and preserve and get some traction, uh, there, there's kind of a roadmap for this already in in Kentucky. Uh, the other thing they're arguing is that um, the, the guidelines that are given by the industry for beta-methasone only relate to injectable. They don't relate to topical. Therefore, um, the commission can't stand on its guidelines because they don't apply in this instance. Um, uh, I mean, I can anticipate what I think the Kentucky Racing Commission would argue in response, but that's those, that's how the case is being framed, I think. Uh, while understandable, uh, it, it it seems, Alan, to some degree that that you know with uh, with every one of these uh you know motions and and you know and movements and responses uh it it 
it's just going to drag it out. It, it, it basically keeps the ball in the air and it keeps the, you know, even, even if it does provide the opportunity, I mean, we've tried to explain, you know, you were remarkable weeks ago, uh, you know, with the, the very important element of, you know, the, the California, this would be simply a fine and, and, and no DQ. I mean, and, you know, the disparity, you know, in, in terms of a therapeutic, You know, medication, you know, medication overage, you know, versus, you know, the presence of, you know, much more nefarious uh, items that are, you know, a conscious attempt, uh, you know, to influence performance. And uh, that, that, that part of, that part of this topic uh, is is very tough. Uh, I think Alan's back. I, Alan, I just, I, I don't, yeah, know, how, I don't know how much, yeah. of it, you know, how much of that you missed. I, I just did. was saying the, the, the fact that it's being constantly driven to home to the public that, you know, uh, illegal, illegal drugs. I mean, the, the public, it's tough enough to explain it to, to people that are, that are, involved in the game uh, what what a you know therapeutic regulated medication is uh, versus you know an actual nefarious drug and uh, the 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 public is being fed the same you know the same item repeatedly every time there's another headline about you know the legal proceedings so Steve when we when we set up the current national uniform medication program uh, one of the purposes was to help to educate the public on the difference between the use of a therapeutic medication as opposed to using a prohibited substance that might affect the performance of a horse or be so onerous to its health that you, it, it needed to be forbidden. That's how we set up the new system, the controlled therapeutics, the 30 drugs that are routinely used and permitted and should be, of which beta-methasone is one of those. But when you've got a race like the Kentucky Derby and you've got 
the general public tunes in to horse racing one day a year more than any other time in our right. business. And you have a situation like this. They don't understand the distinction. They, uh, I've said this for years. They have never understood the distinction. And in sports, people don't understand distinctions between drugs. I mean, you know, you've got uh, ball players who go out on the field are taking all kinds of stuff that is is perfectly legal to do. And hockey players can go, you know, they can get uh, numbing uh, medications and painkillers and you name it. Go into the locker room, get stitched up, come back onto the field. You can't do that in horse racing. And used to argue that our drug regimen is tougher than what a little leaguer could do. But um, but the fact of the matter is, and I've seen this over the past five weeks now, people that I know are no more interested in horse racing than the man in the moon who have asked me about this case and talked about the drug and, and whatever. It, it just resonates. Um, you've asked me why I have, have uh, became a supporter of the Horse Racing Safety and Integrity Act. Well, this is one area where I think HISA is going to be helpful because whether it's me, Eric Hamelback, um, uh, you know, anybody involved in horse racing who tries to defend the way we handle uh, medication and try to explain it, we, we don't resonate. I'd, I'd like to think I do, but I don't. I think that HISA, though, through um, USADA and through the board, the authority, uh, we'll be able to put situations like this into perspective for the public, and I think the public will accept their explanations where they might not accept ours. And I think that's a, a, a real positive for the industry. The other thing is that, you know, people scratch their head. I mean, the BAPR team is making essentially the same or similar, similar arguments now that they did in Arkansas. And look what happened in Arkansas. In Arkansas... He had a lidocaine positive. The, the the theory was that it came from Jimmy Barnes's lidocaine patch and somehow was introduced into the horse. And I've said, you can go to CBS, you can buy aloe vera with lidocaine in it over the counter. Horsemen will rub that onto a burn or an ir skin irritation in a horse that will get into the bloodstream, and that will generate a positive test. Lidocaine is an injectable. But in that case, it's a topical. It's still a violation. And, um, um, you know, it, it, that was the argument in Arkansas. And the Arkansas Commission felt that was a sufficient mitigating factor and that it couldn't possibly have affected the horse's performance. So they did not disqualify the horse. And um, they mitigated the penalty to, to Bob Baffert. And uh, already his lawyers are arguing that we believe that mitigation goes to whether or not the horse gets disqualified in the derby. We're going to argue that, and, and they're going to expect the Kentucky Racing Commission to say, well, they're mitigating factors here. We're not going to disqualify Medina Spirit from winning the Kentucky Derby. And um, in, in the mid-Atlantic jurisdictions, disqualification is automatic. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, and you, you can't mitigate that one. So you've got your disparities throughout the country, and this is why people are arguing for one set of rules and one set of penalties. Now, one set of penalties may be all disqualifications. You always have to take mitigating factors into consideration when you're finding fault for how it happened. But, you know, people are – this is a textbook example of, of – um, it's done one way in one state and another way in another state. This is what people want fixed. We will uh, continue to 
report on and and pass along uh, any insight we can as this uh, as this goes forward. And got another case to throw at you too, Alan, and that's the situation with Linda Rice, which gets actually more more unusual uh, as as it goes on. Uh, not less. It le- things are things are less clear this morning, frankly, than they were. Uh, you know, uh, several years ago, when when there was a, a certain presentation uh, of what you know allegedly happened uh, regarding you know her getting uh, you know information not available to others, uh, entries, uh, etc., and uh, horses that might be entered in races, and it, it things have changed you know almost on a day to day basis, uh, and and. Now her attorney is looking to get a stay, and you know, seemingly trying to, you know, kind of reopen the the discussion. Uh, what do you sense? What do you see here? And and what what are the legalities at at this juncture? Sure. So um, the the New York Gaming Commission made its ruling against Linda official one. Um, two days ago, on the 7th, okay? And Linda had two options at that point, because that ruling becomes effective when it's issued, approved by the Gaming Commission. It's effective immediately, okay? Uh, There was, I guess, a written opinion, and nobody has seen it, so I I can't tell you what's in there. So Linda had two options. One was to get uh, a, as a result of that, she's immediately revoked, and it revoked for a period of three years, plus there's the fine. And so she had two options. One, if the Gaming Commission would grant her a stay pending her appeal, she would have to file an appeal, uh, they would let her continue to uh, train until her appeal was resolved. They did not do that. They didn't agree to do that. So her only other option is to go into the New York court system and seek, seek a stay from the court. If the court were to grant a stay, then she could continue training for the period of the injunction that she is seeking a restraining order, and the court would set forth the parameters. If the court said she's uh, able to continue training horses, um, she's not under revocation, we're, we're going to sit status quo at this point until her appeals are resolved. You know, that can that could be two, three years. And, you know, in, in Dutro, uh, he did the same thing. Uh, and he went to federal court, and... Um, and he w- was able to continue to train under a stay for a period of, I think, two years before his um, a- a- appeal uh, was denied. But when you go into court to get a stay, there is a four-pronged test that is applied by the court in determining whether to grant an injunction. And those four, t- four prongs are, number one, the defendant, in this case Linda, has to be able to demonstrate that she is likely to prevail on the merits, that is, she's going to be able to, her case on appeal is better than what the commission uh, says she did. And when, you, um, when you're when you on appeal, you don't get what's called a de novo case. You don't start all over again. The court will review the record and determine whether or not the decision by the commission was arbitrary, capricious, unreasonable, or not supported by the competent evidence. Okay? So she's got to, in the first instance, show that I can demonstrate that their decision is wrong or should be reversed. 
Number two, she's got to demonstrate that she's likely to suffer irreparable harm if they don't grant her the injunction. And she's got a strong argument there. She's out of business. Okay? That her appeal could take two to three years. She's done. She employs 55 people. She's got all these horses. She's, got, she's essentially shut down. She's going to make a very strong argument to the court, and she's going to argue that going to the next test, that when you balance the equities and the hardships, that she suffers a greater hardship if you put her out of business right now than the commission does by or, or racing by allowing her to continue to train based on the severity of the violation that she's alleged to have occurred. And then the last prong is, well, well what's the public interest here? Is the public interest better served by Linda not being permitted to train or uh, the commission, which will argue that this has damaged the integrity of racing and we can't tolerate that. This is what the public is complaining about. So her lawyer is going to go into court, and he's, he's made very clear he feels that the penalty is unduly harsh. It's disproportionate to the violation that um, they had already found that she had not bribed officials and that the information that she obtained was publicly available to other trainers. And she's got excellent lawyers, by the way. Andy Torres is a great lawyer. And he's going to argue that um, uh, this is a, a total overreaction to what is a far more innocuous situation than what the commission makes it out to be. And he's going to have to, he's going to, have to convince a court with an attorney from the attorney general's office on behalf of the commission making the commission's arguments while he makes the arguments to... Uh, let Linda continue. She's been, you know, a lifelong horseman. She's got no adverse record. She's highly respected. She's the top female trainer in the history of New York racing. So, you know, he's, he's got an armada of arguments to make, uh, and they're going to be tough because the commission's going to argue that um, uh, as to the seriousness of the violation. So if she gets, she gets a temporary restraining order, if she gets an injunction, she'll continue to train, and she'll train as long as it takes for this case to wind through the courts and if she doesn't get the injunction, she's out because she has no avenue of appeal at that point. What kind of a what kind of a can, court? She can still prosecute her appeal, but but she will not be permitted to train during the pendency during the of her period. Yeah. What, uh, and and this is uh, it was filed in Schenectady Supreme Court. Uh, the, right. Is that the? I mean, what? From a, because that's from the a uh, angle. The, the commission's the gaming commission. She's suing the gaming commission, right? And the gaming commission's opposite are disconnected. right? Okay, so that's why they have filed there. And what what uh, on the court scale level? Where does that you know? Where does this fit in? Uh, so she's at the lower level right now. There's an intermediate level, and there is the the um, I guess the state supreme court level. So this could. Um, that this could wind uh, through the system for quite some time. I, uh, I don't practice in New York. Um, I don't know how expedited. Let's assume for the sake of argument that she gets a stay. The, the, the commission is going to want to move it to the court system as quickly as possible. I don't know with the COVID backup and the impact it's had on the court system and how uh, the, the New York court system has notorious, notoriously been pretty slow in my experience. But... Um, <clears throat> you know, maybe there'll be a request for an expedited process here. I don't know. And then it all, then it obviously begs the question of what uh, what does Naira do? Right in terms of uh, in terms of exclusion uh, policy. Yeah. 
Now, Linda's, Linda's a very highly respected piece. Every, everybody loves Linda. You know, this is a real hard one. And um, it, it puts everybody in a very difficult spot. And um, uh, it, it's, just a, it's just a tough case. I thought that, um, and I know Andy Turo, I thought he did a terrific job in this case. It's a very difficult set of facts. Um, and uh, I, I just thought he did a really, really good job. And, you know, um, uh, if anybody's going to be, if anybody's going to do it right, he's, he's he does it the right way. Um, but, you know, if anybody is going to be successful at the appellate level, it's going to be Andy. Yeah, we'll see uh, as early as, as today, uh, because she's got entries uh, tomorrow and Friday. Uh, we'll see how quickly uh, this gets addressed uh and uh, doesn't she also run the risk the longer the longer she fights this uh, does she not run the risk of uh you know the 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 penalties being in, enhanced uh, you know they they called it at least 3 years uh and 50,000 uh does pressing uh the issue you know, with the the gaming commission, does that uh, you know does that run the risk of you know, make this making this worse? She she doesn't have a lot of good choices, Steve, because if she if she clearly wants to appeal because she feels that she has been uh, dealt with unfairly, okay, and she's got that right. Uh, and um, <clears throat> the problem is that when you appeal, let's assume she gets a stay. It just postpones, and let's assume she appeals and the case winds through the courts for a year or two, and that hypothetically she loses. She then starts her three-year suspension from that time. Right. And maybe that gives her time to try to figure out what she wants to do. Otherwise, I don't want to speculate on that. So it delays when the penalty starts. On the other hand, if she starts now, she's out of business, depending upon what her plans are going forward or otherwise. So she doesn't have a lot of good choices. I don't think that um, she, she's not appealing to the Gaming Commission. She's appealing to the courts. So the Gaming Commission doesn't get another crack at this unless it's sent back by the court for further resolution because they, okay. that, that it, you know that her, her legal team has made sufficient argument. You need to reconsider. So I don't see the Gaming Commission uh, enhancing her penalty because she's going into the court system now. She's not filing another appeal back as, as Dutro did. He was still, you know, within the he was appealing the hearing officer's recommendation. So we're beyond that. I think we're beyond that here, as, as I see the case. So I don't think and, she runs that risk. And away from Linda, if in fact, as part of this, and one of the reasons I said that this is this is. You know, gotten stranger as it's gone on, with with the gaming commission and the hearing office uh, backing off the suggestion of you know what would constitute a a bribery uh, scenario. Doesn't that also, if you backtrack on that, doesn't it also? Uh, Open a door for you know uh, Mike Gonzalez and Clocker Steve and Matt Salvano and and, and the individuals that were affected uh, by this you know at the at the origin of the situation. 
Well, uh, look, um, without reading the rulings in those cases to understand the basis upon which the commission decided, well, I, I don't know whether they used the word bribery in those um, in those instances or not. Uh, you know, there I was a 10-year suspension, and Linda's it was a minimum of three. Many people think that that is a testament to how uh, effective her defense was because she was looking at, you know, if, if you were going to, those who were arguing that, well, she's got to get 10 years because the others got 10 years, uh, that was a significant legal victory in and of itself, and maybe that took into consideration the fact that they made it finding that, that, that there was not bribery in this case. But you have to read the rulings to find out why they, what evidence that they gave uh, the most credence to and how that fits into their determination of penalty and otherwise. So um, be merely speculating at that point, but it's certainly conceivable that the others might come back to the commission and ask for reinstatement or lessening the penalty or otherwise. Um you know, I don't know. There's not a lot of, um, you know, there's there's not a lot of roadmaps for this. There's not a lot of history to it. It's uh, right. these are all kind of cases of first impression as the commission has clamped down on violations in New York in particular. New York's always been a very strict jurisdiction when it comes to penalties, and and um, uh, you know, this is just no exception. Well, and I appreciate Alan. I mean, this is this is a little, this was a little bit more uh, detailed uh, even than than we've had uh, on this topic on this case. You know, I had I had Rick Amerly a couple of weeks ago. You know, kind of talk about the you know the behind the scenes element uh, of you know the racing office and the different you know sort of the differential between what constitutes. What I know, supporters of Linda have have characterized as you know this is no different. The information she was getting is no different than the information that the racing office gives out currently when they're hustling uh, people into races. And I mean, the the difference had been alleged to have been, you know, a a scheme essentially, a a you know a. a established mechanism of acquiring the information if if they're if they're backing off <laughs> the mechanism of acquiring the information then then where are we is what i essentially was was you know was sort of bewildered by i mean it it, it was one thing when they were saying you know x y and z happened now they're saying well it, it, it you know might not have really happened that way then 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 who's guilty of what here uh, and also mm -hmm. because there's no formal rule as linda has said where's the rule exactly that that we're being held accountable for so it, it this has gotten murkier instead of clearer well i i think you have to go back to the genesis of this and i i may be speculating somewhat but uh, you know i started doing intensive work in new york back when the old naira management was in, under investigation by the united states attorney's office there had been a money laundering uh scheme uh at at naira that was being investigated and there were concerns at the time this was in around 2003 2004 i believe that naira was engaged in a criminal enterprise because the franchise was at risk there was the possibility of naira management being indicted and um 
And there were other serious legal issues involving NARA management at the time, and a uh, in, in lieu of indictment and prosecution, uh, a monitor was appointed to oversee NARA's operations, a deferred prosecution, they called it, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Neil Getnick. I came into New York mm-hmm. because I, on behalf of the horsemen, I had to work with the monitor. And new managers, when Charlie Hayward came in and Steve Dunker and, and um, a couple of others to try to, to clean up the mess, but NARA was required to report any illicit activity or illegal activity that became it became aware of. Uh, so I think this, among a number of other instances, was one of those where they uncovered something that they thought they needed to report. And so I think this has been part of their conduct in ensuring that they are running uh, a very clean operation. They've they, have brought in outside counsel. They've got in-house counsel, and and Naira's been operating very carefully under. Uh, I don't know. I assume that deferred prosecutions long long past, but sure. But Naira went through very difficult times. You know, they went yep. into bankruptcy. They went into Chapter Eleven, and they went through a very very difficult time. And the ship's been righted, and, and Dave O'Rourke and his team are, are doing a fabulous job in New York. Uh, it's a great move to bring him in. And, um, <clears throat> you know, things are a lot different in New York right now than they were a decade or more ago. And then it started, Charlie Hayward came in and uh, he did a great job. And, and um, uh, you know, they really had, had righted the ship uh, from a lot of troubling uh, things that were happening at NAR. Well, we'll track this and see where this one goes. And, uh might have news i would imagine there'll be news uh later today alan as always uh invaluable insights on on two you know very confusing and and cumbersome <laughs> topics but the that that's the industry at large <laughs> confusing and cumbersome <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to hang up with you, Steve, and I'm headed to Camden Yards to work on Pimlico and Laurel. So, um, Outstanding. Outstanding. That's Alan, good stuff today. That is, without a doubt, the redevelopment plan. Excellent. Alan Foreman, everybody, and uh, thank talk, you. Steve. I appreciate it. There you go. So you're up to speed on uh, both uh, the issues. Sid Fernando, standing by. Sire Watch Pedigree Focus brought to you by Hill and Dale. And uh, Sid, I'm sorry that that went, uh, you were listening, but you love you love legal wranglings. Yeah. I, I, well, I heard the hammer part, and then I, Casey called, and I missed everything else. All right. Um, well, the, you know, we obviously uh, were, we're, Catching everybody up on what went on yesterday, Linda Rice and uh, the latest, you know, testing uh, elements of uh, Medina Spirit. So the, the both of these will continue to uh, evolve and, and make headlines. Uh, well, speaking of making headlines, <laughs> we've got uh, we've got Tappet Sid, and uh, he gets another Belmont winner. Uh, it, it, to your way of thinking. Uh, is there anything, any parallel in in the classics? Uh, who who's had who's had a run like this? One sire in in one of the classics, Derby Derby and Belmont being you know particularly unique. Yeah, it's, it's you know I can't I can't really 
You know, right? you know, if you go if you go back years, and I suppose uh, you know you can uh, usually you know if you go, if Stalin gets two. That's pretty big. Uh, in recent times, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Maria's mom, had, you know, uh, Super Saver and Monarco to the Derby. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't think of some, but I'm, you know, but you know, this is four, and you know, this whole spring when you and I were talking about it, you know, we, we we'd always refer to this cult and. The other cult uh, went on the sidelines for sure uh, as, your, you know, potential Belmont horses, remember? Right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. This tappet and that tappet. I mean, we were, you know, just because, uh, and that and that tappet was actually from the family of uh, Belmont State, Trinidad Jazeel, right? And Rags to Riches. Greatest honor, uh, yeah. Greatest honor, right. But you know, it's it's just we we always just throw it in all spring that you know this horse and that colt greatest honor were you know potential Belmont winners just because this horse had had three winners, uh, eight, and several others that placed. You know, there was another one that ran second in the Belmont during this t- same streak too, and name escapes me now. But um, yeah, it's really a phenomenal achievement. It, it, one of the funny parts that of of uh, of his of, of Tappet's success here and, and of essential quality, you know, coming through uh, after you know falling short in the Derby, the, a lot of people were kind of scoffing and rolling their eyes about uh, Brad Cox's comment uh, as as they were you know turned their attention to belmont about him saying you know the first time we saw this horse we thought this is a belmont you know this is a horse for belmont and mm-hmm. people thought well that's hyperbolic uh <laughs> and, then, and then and then he goes out and wins it and, and wins it stylishly uh yeah. in, in racehorse time i don't know if you heard andy with me on monday morning i mean andy andy buyer who you know, the, the previous week was ready to scrap the whole Triple Crown season or, or change it completely. Andy was delighted by this. He, he thought that this was, uh, you know, as, as you had to literally go back uh, to the, you know, the best figures, back to Empire Maker and, and Point Given, uh, that he, he thought this was an exceptional pair of performances when you fold in Hot Rod Charlie as well. Yeah, it really was. And that, does Andy want it now? Still scrap the distance of the race because you and I talked about that last week. So I thought, you know, no, it's fine. <laughs> no, he, 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 and he, no, he said he, he, you know, he said that he still is of a mind that there, there's some tinkering that would benefit. Uh, the you know the breed the game at large, uh, he said he, he he doesn't back off those earlier you know those earlier comments. I you know he he as much as anything he seems more eager to push the races uh, the sequence later on the on the calendar that i think is as much a his you know his point the, the, that he's making as, as much as you know and any any thought as part of it all that you know the belmont didn't need to maintain uh, 12 furlongs but uh yeah. you know these two uh, boy i mean these two you know running running their races their respective races um uh, 
that yeah, actually really terrific. Yeah, terrific, terrific, it was terrific. great. I mean, you know, it absolutely was. The horses, you know, he was also a two-year-old champion, and, and he won the Belmont too. Uh, you know, you don't see that too often either. Well, and you know, now it's funny. You look at that. He look at his res- his resume. Looks very different with this win, uh, and mm-hmm. and now the. You know the the Derby now. He only now has you, one loss, right? He's right, the Derby. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, it, it's the Southwest, the Bluegrass, and the Belmont this year. The Breeders' Fraternity and and the Juvenile last year. It's he's got three Grade yeah, Ones. I, I mean, he's got three Grade One wins, and, and I mean, the Bluegrass is sort of a you know Grade One win adjacent. Yeah, yeah. He's got such a great pedigree too. You know, he's a great-looking horse. He's got a great pedigree. I mean, this is a horse that, you know, goes back to uh, La Troyenne, you know, one of the great uh, broodmares and markers and pedigrees. Her her um, descendants have, you know, really shaped the breed in this country. And, um, you know, it, it, it goes through... A Florida route through uh, through uh, uh, you know Francis Gender and Tartan Farms, and it has uh, it has um, all these elements in in, in, a, in the pedigree that really work with Tappet too. Aside from this great female family, you know Tappet. Everybody, you know, he made his name early on with Hanson. You know, that was that Tappet Stormcat cross. Um, Hanson was from, you know, Hanson was from his first crop when Tappet was standing uh, very, you know, 15,000 or whatever. Uh, and Hanson had been from this uh, uh, mare who was by Sir Cat, by Stormcat, and no pedigree whatsoever. Uh, no black type in Hanson's pedigree for like five generations. So you knew that sort of Tappet was, you know, doing stuff early uh, on his own, quote unquote, without the help of great female families behind him. Uh, and usually a stallion like that, sometimes when, as they get, you know, successful and then better mares come, sometimes you'll, You'll, you'll find that these stallions uh, kind of top off and you don't get the, the big push through that the assumption that the better female families and the mares are going to help a stallion even more. But that's not been the case with Tappet. Uh, Tappet has taken the, be- the better mares and continued to go f- even further. And in this particular uh, pedigree, the second dam contrived is by Stormcat. So uh, you get that part of it. The fourth dam is by In Reality, and Tappet has uh, has a great uh, relationship with In Reality. Tappet has In Reality in his own pedigree because his third dam, uh, Moon Glitter, is by In Reality. Uh, Tappet's broodmare sire is on Bride Loose by Sapiano, and this mare's... Um, Third dam, Gino is by Fapiano. You know, Gino is by Fapiano out of an in reality 
mayor. And that's all that Tartan Farms, John Narrow, Francis Genter group of uh, horses that got together and, you know, created such a strong foundation uh, for pedigree. So there's some inbreeding that's repeated in this pedigree. Uh, if you go back further, this horse also has this rarity, uh, Steve. He's got three crosses to Secretariat, five by five by five. Um, so you have that as well. Um, this is just a lot, you know, great female family, uh, all this stuff. And, um, you know, uh, it's just, um, and he's a champion. So, you know, he's got, he's got quite a bit going on. It, it, you know that you mentioned. I'm glad you uh, you sort of singled out Contrive, uh, who was who was bred by E.J. Uh, Kelly and 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 Michael Kelly, and you know that that's the first non Darley slash Godolphin uh, breeding involved in his pedigree, and there's actually a a a horse and a influence from mid century. Sid, there's actually two mid-century influences. You, you mentioned in reality who got Basie, who got uh, who dropped uh, Gino, who got uh, Contrive. The the presence of uh, Herbage, and then also Ambiorix that is in here. That uh, Marcel Boussac and the Ambiorix, you know, coming to North America it ended up being a very useful and and you know one of those one of those imported uh, stallions that that contributed uh, to the the second half of the of the century and and this this is going to when he goes to stud i mean this is going to be i mean a powerhouse there'll be a powerhouse appeal to him uh when the time comes essential oh, quality yeah god yeah i mean it's just you know you get the you know one of your top stallions in the country you get a female family that goes back to La Troyenne. You get Phipps's, Genters, Tartan, you know, all these in the background. You get all these pedigree markers. And then you have a two-year-old champion. Uh, you know, and boom, you have um, uh, a classic winner now. Well, and you know, the, the, you mentioned La Trienne, uh, the, but there's also of of her, you know, of her daughters, uh, the the presence of Baby League uh, is is certainly, you know, is certainly noteworthy. Uh, it, it's a branch that, you know, there's it's so much fun. Uh, it, you know, Busher and, and that that she, you know, that she got, and uh, th this has got, you know, this has got all the. <laughs> This is this has got all the hits uh, that, that you would want. Uh, this yeah, is, exactly. right. It's it's yeah. like one of those. It's, it's like it's like one of those PBS specials when they when they you know they bring out an eight CD set. Uh, with, yeah. with <laughs> and this is the same family. You know, this branch of La Troyenne, as you mentioned, this is the same family of Super Saver that the Phipps's developed, and and of course they sold that there, so they weren't the original breeder of. Uh, Super Saver won the Derby. And Super Saver comes from Baby League, goes to striking and then glamour, intriguing number to count branch. 
you know. Um, so uh, it's it's that same uh, uh, original group of mayors that uh, you know Idle Hour that uh, uh, comes through that same baby league uh, branch. Well, and you mentioned well, you mentioned Claiborne, and and they they they're the ones that stood uh, Ambiorix too, right? They they yeah, they stood they stood Ambiorix, and if you go back, you know, just take a look at this. You mentioned uh, Ambiorix. Uh, okay, so Ambiorix's daughter was basis full. She was then bred to Herbage, the French Derby winner. He stood at Claiborne too, and. Hmm. That's uh, that's the sire of stolen base, um, and stolen base. If you look, you know, sips weekly. I've been sipping with his mom, got his sips. Uh, was the was the was the breeder of stolen base? Of course, all their stock was at um, Claiborne, right? And then uh, uh, so that's stolen base, and then stolen base. Uh, uh, was acquired by um, uh, later on uh, acquired, as I said, uh, from uh, Francis Genter, and and they bred and she bred uh, Basie, who was um, uh, who was uh, by reality, and uh, of course, in reality um, stood at target. And so then you've got those Claiborne sires morphing into the Tartan sires because then, in reality, Basie by in reality was then bred to Fabiano, who was uh, Tartan before he came to Wayne's then, and uh, then that's Gino, again bred by you know Francis Genter, and then uh, you know it was it was at that point that. Uh, Contrived the next stand, EJ Kelly, uh, they um, they got uh, that mare, and then of course uh, Contrived was purchased by Sheikh Mohammed through John Ferguson in 2005 for um, three million dollars, and that's the entry. Uh, into the family. Contrive, of course, uh, the Stormcat mayor that I mentioned was the second dam. And then um, the, the, the dam, bred by, under the name Darley, uh, and that's delightful quality by elusive quality. And then, you know, as they breed everything now at Godolphin, uh, you have essential quality as Godolphin. Uh, so, a really storied uh, pedigree, top of the line pedigree. Uh, uh, Darley already stands a top son of Tappet in Frosted. And uh, down the road, they'll now have essential quality as well. You know, and, and this is, uh, you mentioned Gino and her her success on the racetrack. She kind of fits my my 
segment uh, title that uh, we have to act on, uh, A Horse the Time Forgot, uh, had a had a terrific career and uh, you know a lot of stake placements against good horses uh didn't you know didn't get uh, i i don't think the notoriety i mean she won 10 times in 49 starts 439,000 you know mm-hmm. at, at early 90s i mean that's a that's a, a handsome record and you know it's funny uh, this this is great uh looking at looking at the 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 two daughters uh, very strange said there were they covered her twice with stormcat they got contrive and mm-hmm. and and obviously contrive you know has done what you know contributed what she has through uh the dam of essential quality but the other stormcat cover Produced a, a horse that also did not race. Neither of them uh, made the races, and actually, quite a few of her produce didn't get to the to the racetrack. But Queen's Lady, the full sister, mm-hmm. also bred by the Kellys, among her progeny uh, was Ghost Slayer, whose name jumps off the page of me because uh, she's the damn a Biddy Duke. <laughs> I, this the steak horse that I brought up with uh, the, the couple of uh, you know a couple of weeks ago uh, with Doug mm-hmm. O'Neill. Uh, that, that, that's crazy. So there, you know, here's another branch of the family you know, that's careening off in its own direction. I, the, Vinnie Duke came up with Joe Bessicker. Not I said Doug O'Neill. It was the uh, the the conversation with Joe Bessicker that we had. Uh, Doug trains Biddy Duke, but. Uh, it's just kind of funny. I mean, the, the unraced mares that uh, you know are having, you know, that that have contributed two generations later uh, with stake horses. And uh, the other point that's really relevant here is one of the most desirable qualities of a family is that it's what's known as it's a live family. That means it's current, right? And Biddy Duke, you just mentioned. You know, still racing uh, this year. And by the way, she's by Byrne. But uh, come dancing, the the Grade One winner in his family as well. And perhaps most significantly, under the second dam in Dancing Twice, is the Japanese um, the Triple Crown winner of last year, Contrail by Deep Impact. Right. Um, so. This is about as live a family as you can get, and with Contrail being, a, you know, a, multi, a classic winner by Deep Impact, um, and this this Colt Mal, I mean, it's you know, it's one of those families that uh, you know, families sometimes ebb and flow, and 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 you know, this thing is really coming forward right now, and. Uh, this colt is really, you know, such a sought-after horse, but, of course, Godolphin owns it, so uh, there won't be any selling of the horse, but, you know, he's certainly got a huge market value um, price-wise. I also, I, I'm going to I'm gonna bring this up uh, next conversation with Aaron Yagoda, because 
when when you talked about uh, Tappet's uh, early success with Hanson, the the other mm-hmm. the other first crop uh, son that that I, popped in my head immediately because I think I think of Bandbox to some degree as the first you know as the first you know notable Tappet, and and Aaron was the co-breeder uh, with Empty the Bases, uh, which. It, it kind of figures. It's funny. Uh, the, the two. It's kind of funny. Another baseball. More more baseball uh, uh, terminology in, in a family name. Uh, this is a completely different female family. But I, I I'm going to want to ask. I'm going to ask Aaron next time I get him on the the show what it was about Tappet that got him. You know that uh, and he bred uh, Bandbox with New Dawn thoroughbreds, uh, and then of course uh, Mrs. Charles uh, Ellen Charles Hillwood uh, Stable campaign bandbox uh, with rodney jenkins but uh I, I am curious what got aaron to what the aaron and new dawn why they why they went to tap it uh who was well, they, you know you bring up a really good point because aaron aaron yudota um um he read this bandbox who's by grand it was out of a Grand Slam mare, and that's gone west. Well, you could say that essential quality copies that mating. Exactly. Essential quality is the same cross. Tap it. Elusive quality, gone west. So, uh, you know, you've got, uh, you've got, you've got, they set the, uh, they set a, a pattern there that was successful that, you know, obviously, uh, made this anybody, you know, looking at breeding something, people always look at what's been successful before and uh uh you can you can you can say that Aaron Yagoda perhaps was uh, one of the at the forefront of developing the topic gone west Nick. Well, uh the Aaron Aaron's <laughs> Aaron's ahead of the curve on on countless uh, parts of the game. He's uh, he's as savvy as they come. I just sent him a text. What made you go to tap it with empty the bases? I'm, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of this. Sid, a couple of things too uh, to fold in. I mean, the, the, you know, we, it's funny as much as we've talked about essential quality since last year, uh, mm-hmm. we still found new things to highlight in the di- in the discussion. Uh, the two year old sale uh, is underway at OBS. The last of the big uh, you know brie show sales and yeah. uh there's some other stuff that we could uh, we could slip in of course there's been actually some passings i i, uh, I spent some time yesterday with uh john service as well as uh, lenny shulman uh, and larry jones and we uh, let them pay tribute and, and chad brown actually on monday uh when the news spread about rick porter's passing but uh mm-hmm. you know Rick Porter, uh, when you look through the list of uh, of horses he campaigned, uh, I mean, Hard Spun is the the one that we'll see about Omaha Beach. But uh, you know, he did have some stallion prospects that that didn't really catch uh, quite a, a few, and then others that have had you know useful stallion careers. But I mean, considering the time, uh, the twenty years or so in the in the business. Uh, you know, McGreevy got him a steady supply of of stars, and they they they've had, and they're going to have a lasting contribution. Uh, 
you know, to the stud book and 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 on the game. Uh, I he's as he's had as much of a, a successful run in the last two decades as any owner you could think of. I suppose Zayat probably close. I mean, it's just the most phenomenal success he's really had. And when you mentioned the fact that some of his earlier stallion prospects, uh, you know perhaps didn't pan out. A lot of that has to do with the fact that his early success with a lot of his horses were the unbridled songs. And unbridled song didn't become a great stallion maker. So it wasn't really Rick Porter's fault. But, you know, even if you take a horse like Winslow Homer that he had, remember, and uh, several others, you know, he had, he had so many unbridled songs early on. Um, but just the level of horses that he always seemed to come up with uh, you know, which is unbelievable. And then to come up with mares like Songbird and uh, uh, the Horse of the Year. Have de Grasse. Have de Grasse that he sold. You know, you know those two mares are you know, $20 million between the two of them. Uh, you know, most people you know, most people don't get anywhere close to one of those, right? Right. And, um, and, as far as stallions go, um, you know, uh, hard spun. Well, yeah, he had the mile winner this week, and you know, he's uh, just uh, an excellent stallion and one of Danzig's last um, uh, great sons, along with Warfront. Um, so he's definitely had such an impact, and then. Uh, Omaha Beach, as you say, uh, can, um, you know, certainly end up being, you know, maybe the best sire he's had. Well, we're going to, uh, we're going to see, we've got plenty of time, uh, to see how Omaha Beach, uh, takes on and, and of course the, the females uh, that he campaigned, they'll continue to, they'll continue to produce so uh, an amazing really an amazing run uh said i appreciate this this was terrific and uh absolutely steve uh, really good we're going to take the break as we go out uh what's going on with joe how's his uh is he having an assignment uh, uh, he's been doing great you know he's coming up to his four weeks of uh spring training next week uh, he's been, you know, he's knocking wood. I don't like the Jason, but you know, he's hitting well over 400. And uh, after four weeks, you know, depending on the space, they'll try to assign him somewhere. The problem is we've discussed it with these two years of backlog. Uh, you know, there's got to be an opening on a roster. Uh, but uh, I'm hopeful something will happen because um, he's certainly hitting his way up there. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. so basically, he's at the alternate site with the extended, you know, with the extended yeah, spring exactly. training. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, if, 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 <laughs> he's getting paid, and uh, and he's <laughs> he's part of the organization. Well, more that... importantly, yeah, he's having, you know, he's getting a shot. You know, yep. uh, the Orioles just uh, activated the pitcher uh, Max Scarola the other day at the MLB. Joe just faced him and extended and got two major hits off him. So that was a nice. good side because this guy just yesterday got activated to the Orioles MLB squad. Nice. All right. And Joe so. had faced him and extended while he was rehabbing. 
you know, would, it wouldn't hurt. I'd love it. Joe, does Joe have? He doesn't have a. He doesn't have a Twitter, huh? No, no, he doesn't do any of the. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know. How's the baby? How's the How's the grandbaby? A knock on wood, excellent. Thank you very nice. much for asking. Yeah. Nice. Appreciate it. Sid Fernando, everybody. We're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, I'm uh, going to head out to Indy. They're off the turf again at uh, at Indiana. They've had some rough weather. In fact, Eric Hallstrom yesterday, I saw Eric Eric, Eric wondering, why why is it only raining in Shelbyville and, and, <laughs> and nowhere else uh, uh, in Indiana and Ohio? He's like, I'm looking at the weather map. There's a cloud over Shelbyville. Back after this, Bill Downs joins us, then Jay Pridman and Seth Merrow. And I'm going to see if we've got changes yet on uh, Delaware. Let's see who scratched out of the Obeya. Back after this. The latest racing news. It's at the races with 